The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by Chris Dow. Keep it locked safely in a drawer. And Minty Booth. Drop your hips. And we are chatting about our absolute favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! We've got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash O3C Games. We'd really appreciate it if you supported us. Uh, But also, I'm glad that you're listening to this and enjoying it. That's enough, really. But also, check out our Patreon page. Loads of perks. You can join our community on Discord. That's really fun. Loads of extra perks available to you if you get on there. Check it out if you can. If you're in a position to help us, why not? That'd be lovely. So, we are... On episode 13, unlucky for some. (laughs) Yeah, we're amending our lists even further. I know that neither of you are playing Elden Ring at the moment, and I envy you in a way because it's throwing my entire list out of whack uh, the more I play. It's throwing my entire concept of of what I love about games just constantly. I mean, I'm going to jump straight in just to talk you more about it, to be honest. We're going to talk about uh, what we've played this week. I'm going to start because I've been playing Elden Ring. Go on, then. I, I'm, Regale us. I just... The game is incredibly good. <laughs> it is incredibly big. I genuinely think this could possibly be the greatest video game ever made. Oh, boy. Like, the more I play it, the more convinced I am of that. One of the perks of this being bigger and more open than a Dark Souls game is that you really have time and space to like customize your character and like change how you want to play like before you really had to put all your money on melee or all your money on magic and like you basically had to decide that early doors and just plow all of your experience points into maximizing you know those equivalent stats and even if even within that then you have to decide am i going big or small weapons or shiny or burny magic and then uh, you know you just you, you really have to channel everything into that if you want to sort of survive but in elden ring because you just sort of casually slowly grow like i've had space to bolster more areas of my character so you know i've got my strength stat really high enough so i'm wielding my massive golden halberd one-handed and then in my other hand i've got my magic lobbing fireballs or spewing poisonous dragon breath or you know healing myself or curing myself of any maladies and just getting more acquainted with different sides of the game in one playthrough is just so satisfying. It means I, you know, I feel a lot more equipped going into the unknown. Uh, but having said that, uh, I've reached some areas that are just so tough. Uh, and I, you know, I'm already wishing I'd got like another 20 levels or so to boost my attack power. But I think that's like also where the brilliance of the game design comes in. Because I think you'll always be feeling like that. Like, in fact, you kind of have to feel like that to get the same sense of satisfaction from clearing a dungeon or felling a boss that makes, you know, that's what makes these games so compelling. And it seems that, like, even if I feel like, oh, man, you know, maybe I've been grinding a bit or I've I've really sort of, like, spent a while in this area and now I feel massively strong, this would be great, I'll plough into the next area and then you're just knocked on your back by something. And I've also unlocked the ability to entirely respec my character as well. You can't do that, like, infinitely. But, like, there's a finite consumable that you use to do that. But it's nice to know I've got the option, you know, if I just want to drastically rethink how I'm playing this game. Every single area I go to is just mind-blowing. It's awe-inspiring. The design in the game is just... (laughs) So you like it, hey? Mrs. Bunting, (laughs) fetch me a cold compress. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm about 80 hours (laughs) into the game. No idea how close I am to finishing it. I don't really want to think about it, to be honest. Is there endless new game pluses in this, or is there not because of the structure of it? There's the typical, you can go up to new game plus seven, (laughs) and then it sort of caps out, which is, you know, that's all part of the the From Software experience. I've seen people do speed, like I saw a speed run of somebody doing Dark Souls, a single speed run going from all the way through new game plus seven. So he literally plays through it like 
eight times in a row. Wow. It's, it's insane. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't, didn't watch it all, but yeah. yeah. It's one of the nice things about when you finish Dark Souls or, you know, Dark Souls 2, 3, Bloodborne, Sekiro, Demon Souls. <laughs> it is quite appealing to jump back in and do a new game plus because certainly for the first couple of areas, you are, even though, you know, the enemies have got more health and it's a bit harder and blah, 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 you're still going to be massively overpowered for those areas. And that's just quite fun because, you know, you don't often get to feel like you're really in control in these games but i don't think that i'm gonna have that with elden ring i'm not gonna want to jump back in again straight not straight away it's like with breath of the wild it's like i don't want to now that i've i've totally sort of completed that game i don't want to restart and do that all again because exploring it and discovering it is part of the joy of it but a playthrough of dark souls what like 30 hours something like that so I've already said so by that rule, I've already played through, you know, Elden Ring three or four times, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in just one playthrough. I don't think I'm going to feel the need to do it. It's just, yeah, it's just giving me everything I want, everything I've ever wanted in a video game. Anyway, <laughs> oh, Minty, what have you been playing? Well, oh, well, I have, of course, been playing Shin Megami Tensei. The penis game. Ah, uh, yes. I've completed it. Oh, you completed it. Way yeah. well done. No more penises. Well, um, no, but also yes, because I get new game plus penis. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> there we go. I, now that I've completed it, um, ominously, my my save file says cycle one. Oh boy, mm. it's like a washing machine. Yeah, got to do the rinse and drain yet. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so I think I have just done the wash cycle because it's got <laughs> one of I think four sort of little balls on my save file lit up now so i think i'm gonna have to do it three more times um to get what i assume is the full experience of the game i've already started my second playthrough um it's it's going a lot quicker now that i've carried all of my character levels and all of my demons over so just steamrolling through the area skipping the cutscenes, beating bosses in one turn which is nice just because i am i and all of my all of the demons in my cohort are level 99 and uh, everybody else is like, oh, ha, ha, you're going to have some trouble against me because it's level 10 and you're playing in normal mode. <laughs> so have at you. Oh no. Oh shit. You've, you've sliced me into 14 pieces already. <laughs> okay. Well, here's your reward. More of the game. So that's it. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it that much at this juncture uh... for reasons that we'll, uh, we'll discover soon. I'm very sure. What else have I been playing? Playing a bit more Super Auto Pets. Um, I'm going back to, I've gone back to the uh, to the to the to the base pack of pets because uh, I wasn't having really that much luck with uh, with the expansion pack. So I've gone back um, and I'm trying to win a few. Well, I, I am trying to win a match in general on here with uh, with just the vanilla set of animals. Um, and I assume. The reason that I'm doing even worse than I was with the expansion pack is because um, the people who've been playing this from day one have had more time to get to grips with all of these old animals because um, I'm having a terrible time oh <laughs> trying to win. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, well, I'm having a terrible time in terms of in terms of victory and in terms of progressing, but I'm still just, I'm still having a lot of fun with it. I think it's great. I think it's a very very good game. Oh, I've been playing Doom Zero. Doom Zero. It's a 32 map pack that's uh, that's been out for a couple of years now. Is it one of the ones you can get through the uh, Switch app? Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. Um created by Christopher Golden of Iruka Software. Hmm. It's fantastic. It's a very very good level pack. Um so it was released in 2019 for the 25th anniversary of Doom 2's uh, release. It won accolades on uh, in in the 2019 CAC Awards, which the Doom community gives out, and it's an incredibly involving set of levels. Whereas some of the some of the earlier um, Doom mats, it was very much a case of uh, run, gun, uh, find guns, find more enemies, kill them, find a key card, open that door now that was over there. There's a real deep consideration to the level design. Um, there's a, there's a real strong puzzle element to beating each level it's not just like carve a path through stronger and stronger demons uh, there, there are some there are some branching paths there are only certain key cards that you can get in a level which 
means that you can't go through this door, so you have to take another path around and vice versa. It's a lot more involving in terms of actually progressing through the level. And it's 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 excellent. It's really it's a really really good um, level pack. I did get a little bit impatient. I got about halfway through, and then I was like, oh, maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just turn on some cheats and just blaze through a little bit further because I did get a little bit stuck at some point because I'm not very good at first person shooters, as we well know. So I thought <laughs> I'll just see what the rest of the uh, I'll just see what the rest of the wad has to offer, and yeah, I'll probably go back and uh, and try and beat it as God intended. Ultraviolence. Oh, I, 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 I couldn't do ultraviolence. No way. Um, I was on Hurt Me Plenty, which I think is just normal mode, and that's about yeah. as far as I can get. Yeah, great fun. I really like that they're sort of drip-feeding curated wads and level packs. It's nice. It's nice just to go back and see, oh, there might be something fun up on there this, this month I've not played before. Same with Quake. I think I think Bethesda are doing a lovely job keeping you titillated and rewarding you for being a fan of such a prestigious franchise for so long oh nice i've enjoyed picking up those games uh, i mean they're not games that particularly appeal to me just because i don't well i don't really like as you know i don't like playing first person games on a console but certainly in terms of like video game history uh they're, they're fascinating and, and really really cool to play and I'm, i've been very tempted to pick up the exhumed remaster that's come out on the switch mm. i i'm excited for that like i i've ordered the physical edition which means it will come out in many many <laughs> months time from from limited run is it out on the eShop now uh yes i think so i think it's on all platforms if you want to pick it up anywhere even though like i only play like i only played uh, maybe an hour or so of quake and yeah, an hour or so of the doom games uh, apart from doom 3 and the the new doom i'd be tempted to get this Maybe, yeah, certainly when it's on sale, because it's like mm. £16 at the moment. And, you know, I'm not going to pay £16 to play a game for an hour. <laughs> Chris, what have you been playing this week? Have you caved and bought Gran Turismo yet? No. Oh, well done. Although my coping strategy of playing Gran Turismo Concept has had to pause for now because my PlayStation 3 is dead again. Oh, no. <laughs> very, very frustrating that it's it's the same issue or, or at least the same presentation in terms of issue. Because PS3s present with what is fondly called the yellow light of death. Right. And and the other day I, I booted up Gran Turismo Concept or, or went to play it for a few more laps. And then the console reset itself and then it did a few little system beeps. And now it's flashing yellow again, which is the meek sort of like, sorry, sorry, I've failed. Mm. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm at the stage now where I need to think seriously about how this console fits into my setup. Because... Yeah. I've developed a real fondness for the PS3 as a machine. Like it's it's such a great jack of all trades for early era Sony games because of the model I have. But you know, I, I can't repair it indefinitely like a classic car. <laughs> like there, there does have to come a point where I say, like, no, I've I've sunk too much into this and I need to just call it a day. The guy who fixed it before, uh, Phil at Console Fix, should be able to look at it again under repair warranty, because it's only been a month or so. But the problem is that if the issue isn't tied to the bit he fixed, which was the capacitors, yeah. um, it, it's, it's a fresh repair. You know, he's not going to warranty repair something that wasn't his problem to break. So, you know, it, it could be the entire graphics chip needs replaced or reballed or, or God knows what else. And none of those are particularly cheap jobs. But I, I'm still in this annoying position where it's like PS2 and PS3 emulation are just not quite there on the PC. They're both very good, but they're not quite at the point I want. So I'm I'm kind of in this quandary as to at what point am I going to cut my losses on this and just ride out the next few years before the emulation space kind of updates. Yeah. Because the the rule in my head has always been that when compatibility of emulation hits a level where anything I can reasonably throw at it appears perfect, at least to like layman eyes, then then I make the shift. And and as much as there's been tremendous strides in both PS2 and PS3 emulation as of, as of late like the last few years, um you know, I think we're now in a in a place where Every single retail game will now at least boot in, in the leading emulators for both consoles. But there's there's still just a few too many edge cases and like performance blips and, and awkward bits that just don't quite function as you expect. And the joy of the emulation station as a project in my head is that I can hear about an old game or I can read about an old game and I can be playing it in seconds. And sadly, we're just not quite there yet because... 
I can't be bothered to endlessly tweak custom settings and drivers and rendering profiles and, and God knows what else on a game by game basis to make it look right. Yeah. You know, for, for years I kept around a Dreamcast, I kept a Saturn and I kept an N64. And it's only recently that I've, I've retired those three machines in favor of the, the emulation setup because for each of their libraries now, I, I'd say you could count games that don't function on a single hand. Like it's probably less than five games per platform. And that that's what I've always wanted. Like so much of this hobby for me is about perpetually learning about console libraries and, and filling gaps in knowledge and learning context for, for what's been inspired by what or who worked on what franchise before and everything else. And, and being able to immediately play games is, is just such a big part of that. So yeah, I, either way, my machine is going back into its cardboard sarcophagus this week to, to be shipped <laughs> up the country um and, and i'll keep updated as to what happens with it in in the next few because you know i'm, I'm hopeful maybe we're going to bring it back from the dead again but equally it could be a time that i have to say goodnight to that one and, and think about alternatives in terms of other games georgia and i are now into the third season of the walking dead ah uh, it's it's still a very good time like we, we haven't had that many evenings together in the last four or five days just because of work schedules but I've really enjoyed playing it with her and, you know, looking at it from a, a game development perspective as well, it's interesting to play it sequentially like this without the the months of development time that would have broken up the original episodic releases because you, you can see Telltale pivot in real time away from more object-based puzzles in season one to just kind of like straight dialogue choices and quick time events, which is what informs most of season two onwards. And I think they they really looked at what was working and kind of, saw what was being said in the press and kind of what what players were thought of the whole experience and and just went no this is this is what this game needs this is what makes this work and it's been quite cool to be able to step back and see that internal discussion kind of almost being played out in real time through this anthology release and then the other game i've played a good chunk of this week has been the sequel to submerged with its oh. subtitle hidden depths because it, it launched just a, a few days ago yeah how is it as a very short review, if you liked the first game, you will definitely like this. Nice. As, as a longer review, if you like the first game, you'll certainly have a good time here. But there are there's elements of this sequel I think actually walk back on some of the things I really liked about the first. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not a perfect experience for, for what it could have been. It looks a lot nicer, obviously. Like this is a, a 4K 60 frames a second game now on the PS5 at least. But in chasing that added fidelity, it loses a bit of the the readability that meant in the first game you could easily distinguish straight away as to whether a chunk of architecture was scalable or not. The added crispness and and higher polygon models as well mean that the relatively low budget of this thing, because it is still like a, a an indie project, is that bit more evident too. And when you compare it to something like you know AAA games, characters' movement is all mocapped on kind of a, a performance stage and everything else. It uses like physics engines to kind of like blend together animations so everything just looks natural. Whereas in Submerged, I imagine this is still like keyframed animations. And and with with the characters being essentially hand animated, you get these odd movements sometimes. Like the one I really noticed was when you mount or dismount a rope and they just suddenly seem really awkward and rigid because it's like <laughs> the body is just attaching and then and then getting off again. And it's it's not a deal breaker. Obviously, it doesn't really affect the the experience of playing it, but it is something to bear in mind that it's it's just a caveat that comes with playing on something like the PlayStation Five, because it can play host to these massive budget first party games, but also one man indie projects and everything in between. Yeah. So you you do start kind of noticing the the cracks in those lesser titles that bit more um, when you've got it sat on your digital shelf next to like Uncharted, for example, <laughs> you know, the kind of polar opposites in terms of, of budget and, and that sort of care and attention. The other thing that I, I don't love uh, about this sequel is what I would call the Ubisoft-ification of the world. <laughs> um, like there's, there's probably four times the collectibles that were in the first game, which is fine because I enjoy the collecting part. It's kind of what I enjoyed about it. But they're revealed via climbable outposts that expand the nodes of your map <laughs> like all the bits that i just i thought this this game was was above um you know the, the first one it let you use a telescope to kind of mark out distant landmarks that you then sail to naturally by looking at your map and just finding your way there and then once you got onto a little island or building the map would populate where the collectibles were so you just kind of found them at your own pace so if you were lost you could look at it and kind of get an idea of where you were going and i thought it was quite an elegant solution that it's like 
you know, you, you kind of find the stages as it were manually, and then the rest is just loosely penciled in to avoid frustration. But here it, it feels a bit more like a lean towards the kind of flavor of the month, open world stuff. Mm. And I always thought that Submerged, like the first game had kind of pulled away from that, that, that kind of felt like where it was positioning itself. Um, I'm still having a good time. Like I've played it for quite a while. It's still very relaxing. It's very pretty to look at kind of sailing about your little boat. There's still no combat. There's no timers. There's no pressure. So it does still kind of uh, work as the relaxploration game that the blurb sells it as. <laughs> but there are kind of enough of these niggles and especially it kind of like quite a, a big jump in price compared to the first one as well. Like you can get the initial game for about two pounds and this is 25. So it's, it's quite a step up. Yeah. And, and because of that, I feel like Uppercut Studios have just made a few missteps in appraising maybe what set the original apart. Like it, it feels like a, a more mainstream take on what went before rather than just a shinier refinement of the elements that I really loved about it. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. I'm sure I'll finish it in time um, because it is a nice place to kind of hang out for an hour or two. But yeah, it's just maybe not quite what I wanted from from a sequel. There we go. So shall we move on to our amendments? Yeah. Yes. We're going to start this week with Minty. As we are wont to do. Well, here we go. With this week's pick, I don't want to give the, off the impression that I am manipulative. I don't really have the drive or fortitude to bend others to my will whatsoever. But <laughs> a gentle goal of mine is finding a gaming experience that me and my wife can enjoy together. Co-op Aww. or competitive. Uh, we have a good amount of uh, board games that we like to whip out every now and then. Perhaps one day O3C games will expand to cover things that are powered by dice and cards instead of button inputs. But for now, we're glued to our screens and turning the chunk of rock that is the best video games we've ever played into the chiselled Adonis of a curated and amended top 100 list. <laughs> I've often spoken about how my wife and I like playing point and click shite on the iPad to wind down some evenings, a sort of sort of esoteric nonsense that puts you in the shoes of like a, a a private investigator with brain damage like desperately trying to escape a locked room with a or foil a wizard's plot with only a marble and a tin of pilchards and somehow pulling it off like part of the enjoyment is is, is figuring out a puzzle turning to each other and saying yeah that solution's complete bullshit <laughs> perhaps we've outgrown the low quality free point and click game like like the bicep that curls a dumbbell, have our minds achieved a greater capacity for incredibly silly problem solving? <laughs> we'll wait until uh, the next episode of uh, the Nairi games come out to test that hypothesis, I suppose. As a, as, a, as, a, as a bit of an aside, we used to stretch out each other's hamstrings most nights as well, watching episodes <laughs> of uh, Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune, which is also good fun. Slightly competitive, like seeing who would who would be able to sort of lick their kneecap first. It was always her. Um, and very collaborative when it came to answering the trivia questions on the TV. I hope you can see where I'm going with this. So I'm heading towards... <laughs> I'm heading towards a full, a competitive, full-body gaming experience that I've been enjoying with Mrs. Minty for the past few years. We're both of that age where we were teenagers when the Nintendo Wii first became big and you know, got people flailing about in their living rooms with reckless abandon, only for a very vague facsimile of their movements happening on screen, whether that was swinging a sword in not quite a way that you wanted or throwing a bowling ball in a way that um, doesn't really knock any pins over despite the fact that uh, you knew exactly where you wanted to go and you guided it that way it's just <laughs> i was never good at never good at wee bowling then of course there was the wee balance boards which offered a more involved approximation of a translated movement with such things as uh, ski jumping or somehow knowing how old you were depending on the way that you stood on what was basically a chopping board <laughs> super basic <laughs> proof of concept keep fit stuff that is realized to a more complete degree i think in Ring Fit Adventure. Yeah. Ring Fit Adventure is fucking great. We got it during <laughs> lockdown, which I'm sure many people did, but uh, my first exposure was playing Jonathan's copy back when it first came out, and I thought to myself, <laughs> I, yeah. I've, I've only just turned 30. Like, I, I walk everywhere, I run regularly, I do a lot of heavy lifting on my job. I'll just set it to extreme difficulty and blast through a couple of levels for a bit of a gentle burn. It's a Nintendo game. It's a kiddie console. Oh boy, I was humbled. I was humbled, dear listeners. You can walk. Yeah, yeah. I just, 
I think, I think for the last few reps, I was just, I, I think I actually took the, uh, took the ring on and just sort of bounced it on the floor instead of pushing it together just to make it seem as though I was actually doing the exercises. Yeah. Not, not my, um, not my proudest achievement. Not really an achievement. Well, I guess it was an achievement because I actually did beat the levels. Not my proudest moment, let's say. Anywho, the premise of the game is this. Four heroes of light uh, appear. There's a job system. Each armed with an elemental crystal. You are some sort of keep fit nut who stumbles upon a mysterious big hoop, which turns out to be uh, alive. The hoop used its magic to seal away an evil dragon, but the dragon has now broken free and is causing havoc. Its power far, far outstrips your own, literally. He's very buff, very huge, and has wings, so he flies around everywhere, always out of reach. So it's it's up to you and your ring friend, so only, there's only two of you, to get stronger and take down uh, that dragon. It's a simple premise, but for a game where the focus is more on such things as movement, getting the blood pumping and squeezing like a real-life ring, the story only needs to be serviceable at best, and just to keep you sort of occupied as you're doing these things. It's an RPG where instead of uh, instead of menuing or like selecting what attack you want, your movement is the menu. So every level, it's a linear track, and you move down the track by you guessed it, moving yourself, jogging. Um. If you come across uh, treasure or coins, give the ring a squeeze to suck them up using the power of a ring vacuum. Reverse farting. Reverse farting. <laughs> yes. Squeeze the ring again, uh, and you and point it at the floor. And you can jump using the power of blowing the blowing the wind out of the ring, I suppose. Ring foofing. Squeeze the ring to jump and clear a tricky obstacle, like a fallen log or perhaps even, heaven forbid, a rock. Environmental hazards require different workouts. So if you come across a lake, instead of swimming, your, your ring turns into a pair of oars. You jump on a conveniently placed uh, canoe or surfboard, push the ring into your stomach and sort of like wiggle your hips so that your so that your person on screen paddles with the oars that have somehow come out of this ring uh, you maybe maybe at some point in the game you might find yourself in an old timey minecart and you need to squeeze the ring in a, in a certain rhythm to speed up to turn or to jump a lot of movement and a lot of progression revolves around your squeezing, pulling, rotating, or generally moving this uh, this this ring on. So, like, it's a pretty tough little bit of kit. Like, you always feel that like you've gained something physically from doing a level, even if you're not too out of breath from the cardio of jogging, which just gets you to the end of the level. Of course, it's an RPG, so there's equipment, um, items, a skill tree, battling. Enemies come in uh, a few different colours, and their colour denotes what type of workout they're weak to. So uh, if you come up across a red enemy, they're weak to red skills, uh, which focuses on arms. Uh, uh, Leg skills kick the shit out of blue enemies. Yellow enemies hate the yellow skills that work out your core. And green enemies don't really like yoga skills. (laughs) Uh, Equipment uh, gives you skills buffs or limits the damage that you take. Items help heal you or give your color skills a boost, depending on which flavor smoothie you drink. And then the skill tree unlocks new, you guessed it, skills trees no. yeah instead of swinging a sword you're doing a workout to fight things so like uh, squeeze the ring multiple times that's a red skill because you're using your arms and you've killed all the red enemies you can unlock a skill where you can put the ring on your shoulder and like push it down into your shoulder from the top like a like an elevated bicep curl or something that's another um red skill which might have a little bit more power which will help get rid of the red enemies quicker, etc, etc. Do a sit-up or 30. That's a yellow skill, which kills all the yellow beasts. If you want to kill them quicker, uh, you can do some planks instead, which has a higher attack skill, both in-game and in real life. The plank is incredibly difficult for me to do so i don't really like doing it at all but repeat these repeat as necessary for the uh, for for the different colored enemies it's 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 just basic enough to hold your attention and each level each encounter is constructed in such a way that you've got a whole you've got a, you've got a full body workout right there and then and you can tailor your move set to target specific muscle groups as well, which is uh, great for somebody with uh, with back conditions, like my wife, or somebody who cycles a lot and just doesn't want to do shit with my legs today. 
i.e. me. There's also minigames, which really focus on one specific action as well. It's a fitness regime that meets you where you are. It's it's unassumingly opt-in. Oh, you, you fancy beating a high score today? Well, fine. You're going to crack a couple of uh, cu- couple of story mode levels? Go for it. Hey, before you do, though, do a warm-up and slap your thumb on the, uh, the infrared reader and we'll check your pulse. Whatever you're here for, we'll get you feeling good. And it does! Like... Whatever you decide to do in the game, you always feel like you've progressed. It's a it's a confident and self-assured fitness game. And while it isn't a masterpiece, the physical benefits are far-reaching enough for it to be an enjoyable and cost-effective alternative for the gym, if that's not your scene. It's also got uh, an offline mode as well, which is good. Um, plop a Joy-Con into the ring, activate it, and then just start squeezing that ring however you want to. And uh, As you're doing other things like watching TV or checking emails. It'll record how many reps you do, and then apply them to your character as XP. Gaming without gaming. Let's get it into the top 100. I haven't really put in another sort of movie-type game in, now that, um, well, now that now that Elibits is gone. Um, so, instead of just a straight swap with something like Wii Sports, if that was in there, let's... We'll get rid of another. Well, we'll get rid of another game from an overrepresented genre. So, we will put Ringfit Adventure in at number seventy-seven and swap it straight out with Pokemon Fire Red. Job done. Runners high. Easy uh, peasy. I think that the the ring uh, is one of the best designed peripherals in gaming. There's, it's it's incredibly simple and incredibly effective. I mean, I, I know that obviously the the tech is in the the joy cons hmm. to sort of do that but i mean it's just l- leaps and bounds ahead of uh <laughs> when nintendo were were uh sort of uh, middling around with wii fit and the wii in general and stuff like that obviously during lockdown i uh i set myself a bit of a goal with it when animal crossing came out because i got, got them around about the same time yeah. which is obviously around about lockdown and i said I, I wasn't allowed to play animal crossing until i'd done like a half hour on ring fit so every day I'd start with a ring fit session, which got increasingly more annoying the more my dog tried to be involved. <laughs> when I moved my sort of my gaming stuff up into my office when we had our our child and, you know, sort of the living room wasn't really a, a, a place for for solo activities, then, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't had the space to to do it, uh, to do some ring fit. But now that my daughter's getting a little bit bigger and uh, my dog's. No, it's still an absolute fucking nightmare. <laughs> My Switch dock is is in the lounge, and um, yeah, it wouldn't take much effort to to reach on top of my wardrobe here and pull down my ring and give it another go because I would like to because it is very good. I tell you something that I'm surprised they haven't done is Nintendo themed DLC packs. Yes. So doing like a Legend of Zelda quest or a you know a Kirby quest or a Pokemon one, I'm surprised they haven't done that. Even if it was just different music, mm. I don't feel they've capitalised on that. If if Mario Kart Eight and its DLC release schedules anything to go by, maybe we'll get that in five years' time. <laughs> potentially, yeah. Potentially, when Nintendo stop making a billion pounds a day from selling copies of it, still probably. The best thing you can say about Ring Fit Adventure is, on paper, it looked like a really dumb idea, and in execution, it works really, really well. Yes, <laughs> yes, like, yes spot on. it was one of those things that all, the previews came out of nowhere. And I remember reading a few and being like, what's going on? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what's happening? And then, then when I got a copy, like, like you, Jonathan, I, I played it for probably about a month alongside kind of other things during that first period of lockdown. And um, yeah, it, it for me at least, as someone who is you know not the most gym-centric, I, I felt I was getting a good workout and having a nice time. And I mean, that, that's exactly yeah. what it was aiming to do. And it really, really delivers. So on to my amendment and... A couple of weeks ago, when Chris turned to everyone and said, I just played this game and it's really good. It's called Ocarina of Time. <laughs> and everyone just went, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel that's going to be me a, a little bit this week because it was only in the last year that I finally got myself into one of gaming's biggest franchises, which is Monster Hunter. Oh. Now, I spoke about this when I was playing it, but it did take me a while to get into the Monster Hunter franchise, uh, despite a few of my best efforts. I'd, I'd always had my eye on it. It looked really cool. Seemed like a more grown-up version of Pokemon with, like, actual dragons instead of cuddly toys. 
but I, I never really had a console to play one on. Well, I say that, I don't know, really. I mean, I, I remember when Monster Hunter Try came out on the Wii. That looked great, but I didn't have a Wii. I remember seeing the PSP games, and I didn't, I didn't have one of those either. But I did have a 3DS, and I had the opportunity to play, you know, one of those ones, but I, uh, I, well, I didn't. And then Monster Hunter World came out looking very shiny, and I had a PS4 to boot, and everyone was saying it was the best Monster Hunter game yet, so I thought, oh good, I'm glad I didn't waste my time on all that tripe that came before it. Let's jump in with this one. Uh, but what I didn't foresee was the enormously high bar to entry that the games had cultivated throughout its history, especially when the game is, at its heart, incredibly simple. The series has employed systems and menus and mechanics in more densely packed layers than a lasagna trifle, uh, meaning that this game felt impenetrable to me as a series newcomer. So I've made my character, I made a cat, I picked a weapon, trundled off to try and hunt my first monster, and I think I beat it, but it all felt so unfulfilling that I thought to myself, if, if this is the game loop, then I'm absolutely not in, and I cast it aside quite quickly. What I didn't realise at the time was how much stock is put into the weapon you choose in the game and uh, how central that is to your enjoyment of its combat and therefore your enjoyment of the hunting that is quite a central part of a hunting game. On a similar tangent, I, I remember when I first got Dark Souls and one of the first things I did was change all of the control setups so that it played more like Zelda. Why isn't the A button... Uh, the attack button. A is for attack, not <laughs> R1 for one tack. B is for jump, surely. B for bounce. No, you don't really jump in the game, so it's L3. L I mean, what, what even is that? L1 plus L2? I don't know. So I changed it all so that I could stand a chance of playing the game. What I failed to realise is that if I took some time to acquaint myself with a game that was set up differently to a game I already knew, then I could perhaps find a new way of playing a game. <laughs> like, I often joke when I'm playing FIFA, asking, uh, oh, what's the punch button? <laughs> or how do you get your gun out? Uh, aside from this being very funny, it uh, smacks of the truth that I'm often resistant to change when it comes to video games. Like, I've criticised games before, saying that you shouldn't need to force yourself through the first 25% of a game to enjoy the remaining 75%, because there are plenty of games that are 100% fun to play. In fact, I think I actually said that referring to Monster Hunter World. And it's something that would be true to be said of something like Skyward Sword. And I did force myself through 15, 16 hours trying to get my muscle memory used to the controls before then having to send my muscles to Borstal to have those lessons beaten out of them so I could continue to play every other game that exists. But there is truth that sometimes it does take a while to get your head around a new game systems, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if the game gently helps you get there, or, you know, you have a friend to show you the ropes and encourage you to keep going, as was my case with Monster Hunter Rise, which is the game I'm talking about. Capcom released a demo, which I played, and it wasn't that fast. And I tried the second demo, uh, which was released playing co-op with a friend, and I was still largely unconvinced. But then some encouragement from another friend led me to just take the plunge, pick a copy up, and give it a proper, proper chance. I think that, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have many other games on the go. I didn't have, like, a big game on the go. So I thought, you know what, like, maybe I just do need to give it proper attention, time, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but, th but, th but this was, you know, the series' last chance with me. Like, this, this was it. Right, I'm buying it. If it doesn't work, I'm out forever. That's it. Uh, but it seems, you know, third time is indeed a charm. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, this time it just really landed with me. I found a weapon I liked. I started to get into the game loop. Once I realised that you had to approach this game differently to other games, it really opened up for me. Who'd have thought? And, uh, you know, you can't target or lock on during combat which at first is really confusing because ever since Nintendo solved the problem of how to do action in 3D in Ocarina of Time, I've always been doing that. But what it actually does is give you more flexibility when it comes to how you attack these monsters because attack uh, different parts of the monsters will have different effects. Sure, you know, you've got things like weak spots and the like uh, to, to look out for, but you can also increase the chances of specific crafting material dropping depending on which part of the monster you try and take chunks out of. You know, if you're looking for something horn-based 
go for the horn if you want a tail <laughs> go for the tail uh, and uh, you know it's this the, it's the way the game presents these monsters that really sets it apart from other action games because these aren't just big cool beasts they're animals with behavior and characteristics and there isn't a meter telling you how close you are to slaying a monster or how close you are to wearing it down enough to trap it uh, you have to simply watch and look for signs of it you know, limping or getting tired, starting to retreat, or you look at how it attacks and defends to try and work out uh, what its weak spots are, what elemental vulnerabilities they might have. It's just a really organic way to approaching each encounter, and it means that you don't ever really switch off, even though you are essentially doing the same thing every single time. Go to an environment, track a big monster, hunt it, repeat. But because you can't just get massively overpowered or learn some special move that will one hit everything and because the monsters are always getting more complex and stronger and sometimes you know you have to try and handle two or three of the big guys at once it means that there's there's always something to stay alert for and quite brilliantly the hunting of the monsters is linked to you getting stronger because you make your armor and your weapons out of materials you get from hunting the monsters you can't you can't ever get overpowered you know because you'll only ever be as powerful as the last one you beat. Uh, and to get more powerful, you need to beat one that's going to be harder than the last one you did. And it's just, it's very, very clever. And I did really find that game loop satisfying. Just hunting a new monster, using the material, make new, better armor, weapons, cooler looking stuff. And I mean, even though there are an incredible amount of systems in the game, you, you don't really need to know about them until like you want to. Like there's a whole system whereby you can send out packs of your palamutes or palicos to harvest items and, and loot and stuff. And it's set up in a way that like I, I, I saw this thing and I was like, I have no idea what this is. I don't know what I'm meant to do with it. So I'm just going to forget about it. But then I got to a point in the game where I thought, hmm, I really need some of this particular item. But I don't want to have to gather that myself. If only I had a quirky pack of cat and doggy buddies to send in my stead. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, I was like, oh, actually, no, there's that system that I found a while back. And then, you know, I figured out that system uh, because it was abundantly clear to me uh, what that service was for and how to use it because the need was there for it. And I think that's part of why I got into this game and Monster Hunter World stumped me a little bit because, I mean, loads of people said this about Monster Hunter Rise, um, people who have played the whole series, but, like, this game has just the most amount of features to make the game as accessible as possible. Things from just, like, riding on the back of, uh, of a steed for extra manoeuvrability and, and speed and traversing these areas, the new wire bug features, which allow you to travel with an extraordinary degree of verticality and just, just being nimble and flying through the air. And it's just, oh, it's so much fun. So many things have been considered and learnt from previous iterations of the game that have been taken into consideration and applied here to make it just a fantastic overall gaming experience, which was, was just such a thrill to discover for me. It's really opened up a whole other gaming franchise for me now as well. And, you know, that's that's excellent. It's always nice to get into another series, isn't it? Yeah. But, like, one of the things... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Although it does mean that I'm now tied to buying every entry of this game that ever comes out again uh in addition to many other series that i'm now absolutely hooked on but i, I must say like the thing that surprised me the most about the game was the online aspect like i've said before about like pl playing online uh, it's just especially with unknown people ugh, people are awful you know like uh, i really i really enjoy playing with with friends i love cooperative gaming playing like uh sea of thieves with my group of friends in lockdown was just as i spoke about a few weeks ago just one of the, my favorite gaming experiences and i didn't expect to enjoy that side of this game and you do have to because it is a whole side of the game that you you, you know is is there and uh you know you can do stuff on your own and you can do stuff offline uh but i'd say there's 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 got to be even more missions to do online with people than there are to do solo and i expected just to either be a newbie and feel like an idiot and let people down or 
come in and be playing with a bunch of cunts uh, or, you know, just, <laughs> uh, or go in and just find people just pissing about and not really understanding what, what they were doing. But the way the game's set up is just, it makes it makes it so easy and straightforward. Generally, everyone who's playing just is, you know, is absolutely up for it, which is great. And it is so thrilling when there's four of you just charging into a hunt with just everybody riding on their palamutes or flying in on a wire bug. It's just so exhilarating just to take on a massive monster. You're all just going in on him together and then, you know, he's running away and you're all tracking him. It's just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. There's nothing else I've experienced in a game like it, really. And that feeling of triumph and satisfaction you get, like when you come out victorious from one of, you know, the harder hunts, is, is so much fun. I say I haven't experienced anything like it. Is that there's actually similarities to Dark Souls with it because obviously one of the big elements of Dark Souls and and you know uh, Bloodborne and, and now Elden Ring is you can summon people in um, to, to 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 co-op with you. There are times when you can summon people in to to help you with a dungeon or something, but but typically you, you summon somebody to help you with a boss. Big boss. And uh, you can summon in one or two people to to come in Elden Ring anyway to come and help you out. It does mean that the boss is is harder. They'll have more health. But there's something about like that cooperative attack, that group activity of just all absolutely going for it, just about sort of coordinating yourself and holding your own and trying to support, you know, the other people playing. And yeah, like there, there are certainly moments that I've had in Elden Ring where I've summoned people in for some boss fights that, that felt akin to something like Monster Hunter, where it is just, yeah, just big warriors all going up against a massive beastie trying to come out alive and it's an element of monster hunter rise that i didn't expect to 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 like i thought it was going to be something that i was going to have to endure but i just enjoyed it and it was a a really really fun thing to do and i'm still actually yet to do anything any co-op with people people i know (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i only ever did it like i planned to do it i planned to do it with my friends who have got monster hunter rise but just timing never never worked and it was just so quick and easy to do these online missions with randoms that it just sets you up gets you go it's great fun and i'm done it's brilliant and uh yeah but there is the massive expansion coming in june uh literally this afternoon there was a uh nice big update about sunbreak the uh the big dlc that's coming and it looks like there's just going to be so much stuff in there i mean capcom have been incredibly generous with rolling out content for this they've done loads of free updates with more quests and more things and loads of mad crossover stuff with like sonic and street <laughs> fighter and shit like that it's totally bonkers uh but brilliant and um yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to sunbreak and I, I did get into monster hunter rise a little bit after uh certainly my friends who had it so hopefully uh yeah if we're all playing sunbreak at the same time i'll get some some actual known co-op uh play going which would be great and uh, yeah, I can't wait. Big beasties. Oh, you love it. You'd love to see it. <laughs> so where is it going in my list and what's leaving? I think this is going to go in probably around about the 40 oh. mark. Maybe a little higher, oh. maybe a little lower. Not sure. Not sure. It's definitely a top 50 game. It's fantastic. Certainly after playing Sunbreak, it may well go up. What's leaving? Well, it makes sense that actually, yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get rid of a Pokemon game. Uh, I'm going to swap out a monster hunting catching game for another one. And I'm going to take out Pokemon X that was in my list. Even though Pokemon X was above Ultra Sun in my list, I think that Ultra Sun is a better game. To be honest, I think Ultra Sun's going to go at some point as well. Because, <laughs> just uh... cleaving <laughs> through the Pokemon series. Leaving, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the leaving trouble... gold at the top and just fucking everything off. I mean, that's it. That's the thing. It's like, why even? why even try? Like, I don't just play pokemon gold you know but for now pokemon x is going pokemon ultra sun lives to fight another day for now so i'm i'm uh i'm letting pokemon x out of its pokeball back into the wild and i am tying monster hunter rise down with an electrified trap <laughs> chris how about you why don't you finish us off with your amendment i don't know why certain indie games gain more traction than others like of of the tens of thousands of indie games that seem to be released daily, why is it that some cut through and others don't? Like if if you take the website itch.io, 
because that seems to be the go-to hub these days for, for kind of indie games. In the last few years, I've picked up a few gargantuan bundles of games there supporting different charitable causes like Black Lives Matter and the Palestinian conflict and the recent Ukraine war. And, and in each case, I don't know why in a pool of like a thousand games, there's, there's names that stand out straight away that I know for some reason, like say Celeste or Sundered or Skatebird or A Short Hike. And then there's loads of names that I just don't. Like it's it's not necessarily a quality thing, because as well as Celeste was received on on launch, for example, Skatebird was universally panned, <laughs> like a a real example of the elevator pitch yeah. actually turning out to be the entirety of the design document as well, which was in fact just the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but in terms of discoverability, it's not necessarily about art style or aesthetics either, because scrolling through these bundles again, I'm I'm struck by how many things look cool or interesting that I've just never seen covered in games press or or mentioned on social media even it's an unanswerable question really maybe it's a particular developer's pr nous or having a friend of a friend who happens to work at pc gamer say and then offering to put up a little article that points back to your project or maybe it's just paid advertising or, or viral youtube coverage in the right circles like i honestly don't know but a game that did for whatever reason cut through a number of years ago for me at least despite its pretty unassuming wrapper is Fred Wood's Love. Ah. And although it was initially released, according to the web, in 2008, I have no idea when I first played it. Like, I, I remember coverage uh, on Destructoid, I think, a site I used to read a lot in the mid to late 2000s. But my memory is really fuzzy as to whether I picked it up in its initial release, direct from Fred Wood's website back then, maybe in an early DRM-free Humble Bundle, or via Steam years later, when it got its Love Plus port. But... You know, ignoring all that, I do know that more recently I became absolutely obsessed with it all over again when it launched on the Switch. And then again, when I got my laptop via Steam, because I had it in my library already, and I was just shooting for every achievement I could as as something to do to prove that I was good at a game. Um, But like the before times, honestly not sure. What I'm trying to say, though, is it's a game which has managed to wade through the noise for me. And I was aware of this one-man project almost from its creation, and yet I don't know why. <laughs> like, I honestly don't know why. Like, I have spoken about this game on the show a few times, but as a quick refresher, it's a retro-inspired, super short, minimalist platform game. You're a stick man, levels are super short, but can be really punishing. And the twist is that at any time you can set your own checkpoints. So if you feel scared of a particular jump, you can just bung a checkpoint just before. Lots and lots of reviews on Steam, at least, if you use that as kind of a metric, seem to really miss the point of the game. Like some people bemoaning its short length or saying that the checkpoint system makes it too easy. But it it is really missing that it was always developed as a speed game, really. And And it's a game about pushing for perfection. I've long been a fan of awesome games done quick. And as much as, uh, you know, I've, I've watched a lot less of their live events since the pandemic forced them all online only because it just doesn't have the same atmosphere for me. Um, I do still dip in now and again to see how fast someone can make it through Sonic 2 or how a new runner has managed to shave a quarter of a second off a 10-year-old punch-out record. For me, I'm personally not good enough at any game to ever compete at this level and speed alone. You know, I don't think I ever have been, even in my reaction time prime as a teenager in my young 20s. But love has a brilliantly learnable kind of feeling to it. And I was genuinely able to get quite good at it. Like there's there's 16 stages in its plus port and you get given 100 lives to tackle them when you first boot it up. And the first time I beat it fully, it took 99 lives. I had a single life remaining and, and <laughs> Lord knows how many checkpoints. And I think the in-game time to finish it was around 20 minutes. And then compare that to the last time I played it, when I did it to get the final achievement on Steam, uh, I beat it in a single life. I didn't use a checkpoint and I had about 10 or 11 minutes on the clock. Like it's a game of really, really visible, tangible progress. I've said quite a few times, I, I enjoy time trials in racing games because even if I'm not the best racing game player, something my brother Tom will gladly attest to given how many times he's seen me willfully forget to follow a racing line, even with his <laughs> vocal coaching when we're playing, say like Daytona USA at the arcade club. But I just, I, I love time trials because you, you see your lap times incrementally brought down. And if it's a game that has kind of a ghost car, once you've set a time, it's got a very clear metric of getting better. And for a period of time following its release on the switch, I played a lot of love because a, I knew I was getting better and, and B, the game was short enough that failure didn't feel like a waste of my time. Because 
I know I'm never going to be a person who looks at a game like Mario 64. You know, it took me 20 hours to beat that 100%. I'm not going to look at that and say, I reckon I could do that faster. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I'll probably never play it again. Like getting 100% again (laughs) a year or two ago was great. And it's it's on the shelf now. It's a legacy game. But a, a game like Love that very explicitly presents your stats like time taken and deaths and checkpoints and can be beaten by an average player in 20 minutes, that was enough to push me to say, I'm going to keep going. You know, sign me up. This is an experience for me. I'm going to I'm going to drive on to try and get like the perfect grade at the end of it. It's just very snappy and immediate and really well designed. It's had two sequels now. First, a game called Kuso, which was colloquially known as Love 2. And then Love 3, just this last year. If you want the pure experience, the original is still really great. But I would recommend Love 3 because it includes everything from the previous two games as well. So you can either do it as a huge 50-odd stage gauntlet or as distinct game-specific challenges. So if you want the the core Love experience, it's, it's right there. There's your 16 levels. And, you know, I do feel some of Love's purity was lost as soon as Kuso came out, the second game, and doubled the stage count pretty much. But you can't argue with the value of the third game just including everything and saying, just play it how you want, lads. <laughs> just, just get on with it. Do whatever you like. There's millions of retro-inspired punishing platformers like this, it feels. But I honestly think Love is my favourite that I've played. And I really would recommend people give it a go, especially if you've never heard of it. Then it can be a true like hidden gem, diamond in the rough sort of thing. For anyone that has picked up any of those itch.io bundles that I mentioned at the top of the show, you probably already own at least a version of these games as well because Love was available in the in the bundle for racial justice back in 2020 when I did my research. Kuso was available in the recent bundle for Ukraine, which will have wrapped up by the time this goes to air, but you know, I'm sure lots of people paid into it. But anytime one of these things is run, you get a lot of good games in good bundles for, for really good causes. So it's definitely a site worth bookmarking if, if you don't use it at the moment. Moving the list around at the moment is making me feel like I'm going slightly mad. I'll, I'll be honest. Like Every week I look at Bomber Raid and I think it would be so easy to push this out of the top 100. And yet week on week, Bomber Raid remains. <laughs> like, <laughs> Good. It's, it's, become, it's become a stoic bookend that reminds me every, every show that these lists are about favourite games and not best games. As long as Bomber Raid is safe, so is Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really important. It is. So today I'm going to say goodbye to uh, another Sega Saturn exclusive following oh, no. Burning Rangers last week. Panzer um, and, <laughs> oh, and, and Fighters Megamix. Fighters oh, Megamix is going to get the chop. Fair enough. Because everything Megamix does well, Smash Brothers essentially does better. You, you know, you, you can't play as the car from Daytona. You, you can't play as one of the police officers from Virtua Cop or, or as the palm tree from AM2's logo in, <laughs> in Smash Bros. But it is more fun on every level. And for someone who's not that great at like classic 1v1 fighting games... Smash just levels the playing field and makes that genre something much more accessible, in some cases by literally levelling the playing field, but also by, you know, introducing items and assists and just so much single player content that it's just too generous a package uh, to not enjoy, even if you're not into playing it competitively. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that that's going to come out. Love is going to go into the list somewhere, I think, around the mid to high 50s. Nice. Uh, it's a very, very good platform game. And... I just, I really like shining a light on some of these much smaller experiences. Like, you know, the, the Terry Kavanagh games I have on my list now. I don't know if they feature on many people's kind of like top games of all time sort of uh, collections, but they, they just do a very specific thing so, so well. And I think Love is another example of that, of just one person having a vision for what they want a kind of punishing platformer to be. And they're just doing it perfectly and just iterating until they really had kind of the 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 mirror sheen uh, that this game has now. So yeah, highly recommended. It is a good un, a bloody good un. It is. It's very very good. I played it on my honeymoon. You did. <laughs> my enduring memory of that game was sat on the veranda of my little villa in uh, southern Sri Lanka at a safari park, and I was playing it as I watched. Uh, well, what can only be described as a wild boar doing the school run. <laughs> 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 at about th- three half three every day a wild boar would walk past with its little piglets uh, <laughs> yeah if i played this game with that experience in tow it would be in the t- in the top 10 I, think. <laughs> I have bought love three as well and uh, i started playing it but i started getting a bit overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of levels in there yeah. like you said like love felt very doable yeah because the thing is it's like Something like 
Super Meat Boy or The End Is Nigh. They're huge. There's so many levels, but they are so fun to play, technically, that you don't mind. Yeah. The the biggest difference is something like Super Meat Boy, if I beat a stage... I feel like I've accomplished my goal. Yeah. And and the way love is set up, that the, the levels just run together. It's like, it, it really wants you to get to that point where you can say, I started at one and I finished the game. And the longer that kind of experience is, like 20 minutes is about the limit because that, that harks back to kind of like old arcade games that if you could beat something in one credit, it was probably not going to take you more than 20 minutes, half an hour. And, and I think it has some of that element to it that it's like that's that's the limit of how much you can realistically focus on one thing and really enjoy it i think yeah. like part, past that point if you're really really sort of having to give hardcore consistent focus to something i i don't think the brain's set up for that really and yeah. and super meat boy a level sometimes will take me half an hour to beat if it's yeah. really tough um so it's like at the end of that i'm like yep thanks got my crown i can stop now and that feels great whereas yeah love you need to get to the end it feels like that's always what you're gunning for to get to the end and, and the more levels that were added like I, I haven't attempted the the three game gauntlet in love three I, I don't know if i ever will because mm. like for the for the length of it i think that's gonna be too much for me yeah but that core kind of collection of 16 stages i think is just exactly what i wanted uh and it, it just delivers really well so there we go those are our three amendments for this week first of all we had ring fit adventure and then we had monster hunter rise before finally love if you've enjoyed this episode or indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes chat to us on social media get involved follow us at o3c games on everything tell us what you're playing ask us questions you can give us suggestions of what you'd like to hear us do in the future you can check out our patreon page patreon.com slash o3c games or go to o3c.games which is our website slash support you could give us a little one-off donation paypal that'd be great or pledge to one of our tiers in patreon that'd also be great and you can join us on discord you can also reach out to us individually i'm on twitter at jonathan dunn i am at Chaz underscore hodges and i'm clement underscore boo and please do join us next week when we will be amending our lists even further and now a word from our sponsor Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Loot drop incoming. Get to the drop at hyperx.com for store-wide savings. You may have heard about rising inflation rates that are going on. Well, so have HyperX, and they're responding with deep discounts across all categories of HyperX gear. Head there quick though. Once March ends, so does this madness. It's the HyperX Loot Drop 2 going on now at hyperx.com.